grief is a process as unique as each person going through the grief and the grief you've experienced and whatever griefs might have come in the past. One of the things we sometimes uh, remind people of is don't lock your feelings in a freezer. There's going to be a low level of that sadness, at least for most of your life. And if you're stuck locking all your feelings in a freezer, you can't lock half your heart in a freezer, so you can't lock only the bad feelings up. You have to lock all of them up. Dear young married couple, you're in a busy season of your life. You're probably working and involved in ministry. On top of that, you might even be parents or students. You're maxed, but you really want to stay connected in your marriage. And that's why we're bringing this podcast to you. I'm Adam King. And I'm Carissa King. And we work with busy couples just like you in our counseling office here in Sacramento, California. We also work with couples all over the world through online counseling And our couples are really just looking for ways to communicate with each other more effectively. Some of them are looking to heal from a breach in trust or find direction in fulfilling the purpose that God has for them. So come and join us as we have a conversation. We'll talk with therapists, authors, pastors, and other couples who will pour into us, giving us tools to become more intimately connected, get adventurous, and find purpose. Hey everyone, today we're going to talk about a very important topic, that's the do's and don'ts of going through grief. And today we have with us, to talk on this subject, Dr. Chelsea Hall. Yes, welcome Chelsea. Mm -hmm. Thank you. We're so excited to have you here with us, and um, we had you in mind for this particular topic because you're an expert in this area. Um, For those who don't know Dr. Chelsea Hall, she's a pastoral counselor and a psychotherapist, And she specializes in grief counseling, among a few other areas of counseling that we'll have her talk about. Um, But she runs grief groups and um, just is she has so much insight in this area. So Chelsea, uh, share with us a little bit about the types of work that you do with clients and um, kind of let us peer into your clinical world a little bit. Well, thank you. Um, We spend I do private practice, um, Mm -hmm. and I also work with churches and different congregational and community groups, and a lot of times we find a lot of grief happening on a lot of levels. Mm -hmm. Most people think of grief as just one thing, like maybe somebody died, or maybe the loss of a house, or a loss of a child, Um, but it can be all kinds of things. Anything that's involved in any large change that affects your life, there's a sense of possible grief or kind of stagnation or kind of feeling stuck. Mm. And so some of the work that I've done with different communities is working with the grief from trauma, the grief from a passing of maybe a parent or a sibling, um, a child, um, even a spouse, and also the griefs that just come from things like maybe divorce or um, you know family conflict, some of mm-hmm. those things that can happen. So we've done some programs in the community as well as just individual work with a lot of people just kind of helping them process what's going on. Yeah. I'm sure it's very valuable work. I've heard very good things about it, and um, we're excited to dive into some of those details today. So first, um, before we dive in, we wanted to share with our audience a little bit more about you. Um, Chelsea has a doctorate of ministry in pastoral counseling and congregational care, and I remember when you were working on your dissertation several (laughs) years back, and... um, I was really excited to hear how you were doing the research because her dissertation is on um, apostolic clergy self-care. So if you could just share a little bit about that, (laughs) even though it's not directly related to the topic, although I'm sure it comes up. 
um, that would be great. So our listeners can hear more about your dissertation. Well, I'm definitely excited to say a few things about it. It was yeah. a long process, um, but one of the areas that was uncovered that um, through research for apostolic Pentecostal clergy um, and their families is that self-care is a big issue a lot of times. And I wanted to find out what specifically was going on, like what the problem specifically was, because we all know self-care is important. The research showed that um, from this, the sample group that pastors, evangelists, all these ministers and the clergy, they actually care about self-care. They think it's 100% important and effective for their work. And also that 90% of the time it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the times that it does happen and the expl- their feeling about what's important in that area tended to be around physical needs, spiritual needs as related to other people's needs, um, and then taking care of their family financially, shelter, etc. Uh, the two areas that were kind of missed were the emotional support area, which is part of mm-hmm. grief. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And the other area was just kind of taking time for intellectual care, really digging into things just for yourself and not necessarily for others. So it was so really didn't value those areas as much. Yes. Wow. So it was really kind of predictive of maybe what the problem is and kind of working with some people to see if we can find some predictable ways and useful ways to really make a difference and make mm-hmm. that a little bit easier for people. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's a very intriguing topic and I'm sure an area where you have already found, um, you've been able to minister to ministers and equip them with ways to better care for their mental health needs as well and to recognize the need for that. Absolutely. I think the recognition part can be difficult because there's a sense of, I have to be super competent in this. It's similar to kind of what a lot of people go through grief. Like I have to take care of this in a year. I have to get Mm. this solid. And, um, you know, you don't have to know everything. And so one of the things that do try to do is kind of be that lies and that support to say, Hey, you know, this is the one area you're missing. Let's spend some time on it. Let's support you in getting to where you need to go. It's, it's not a death knell if we take care of it. Mm, It's good. I like that. Well, um, we, we have so much more to share about Chelsea and we'll share more, um, as we get to the end, when we talk about how to reach out to her. Um, but we want to dive into our topic here. So we're talking about the do's and don'ts of going through grief. And we're going to talk about this from an individual perspective, but also as a couple and maybe supporting your spouse through grief and what that might look like. Um, so starting off, if you could just help us, you kind of, uh, mentioned it earlier, (laughs) but, um, share with us, what is grief? Okay. Um, so grief is often, I'm just going to address what it's usually thought of as, so kind of cover that. Um, usually people think of grief as something that happens only when someone passes away or when there's an obvious external loss. Um, and grief can really just be any kind of those things. And one of the things that I think the reason grief gets thought of as the the death loss is because it's actually complex grief when you lose someone you love or that you're close to, because not only do you lose them, you lose that sense of self you have with them. You can gain it back. That's what the process is about. But that is part of that initial reaction. Sometimes you lose access to their house or their home that may be a place that was a place of refuge. Maybe it was, you know, a nursery that was set up. Um, all of those things that we lose there are connections that they had to their friends and how we related to those things. There's a lot that changes. Um, divorce, all kinds of things. So really grief is not only related to what's happening outside, but grief is what's happening inside. Mm. I think one of the important pieces I'm sure we'll get to later is that mourning is our expression of grief, but grief is all the emotions and the thoughts that get bottled up that those initial reactions or even not being able to feel those initial reactions. Mm. 
How often are people surprised when you when you identify in them their reaction to life? You're you're working with them and counseling, mm-hmm. and you say you're dealing with grief, and they're like, "Huh? Does that happen?" <laughs> yes, it actually happens quite frequently. I can say in my own life, I've had that happen with a counselor sitting across from me, going, "Yeah, you're going through grief," and I remember being rather shocked myself, like. Yeah, that's grief, but I didn't really think that. Um, and sometimes we are sitting in counseling, people think we're giving advice. And, you know, if that's asked for, sometimes that's helpful. But a lot of times we're sitting there helping people unravel kind of what's going on and really find their place um, in that piece and then ways to find meaning. Um, so, yeah, it can be really surprising. A lot of people are like, wait, oh, I guess, I guess that's a better name for it than maybe a label they were given or something else that's yeah. going on. Mm. I like how you talk touched on that really quick like so i think that people see counseling as what we do on instagram or we give advice Mm -hmm. but what really happens maybe when someone comes to you for grief counseling Mm -hmm. how does that interaction work what is actually taking place yeah um it Part of it depends on the individual. Sometimes people come in and they already like, I know what I, I know what I'm going through. I've started processing. I just need a little bit of extra help actually finding the next steps. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot, in general, it usually has to do with let's identify, let's share. Let's just mm-hmm. you know kind of get some of the things off your chest that you don't feel you can share anywhere else. There's no repercussions with the therapist. Mm-hmm. No one's going to say anything. No one's going to be mad at you. You can say whatever that first thought is and then go, wait. Maybe that's not what's actually going on, but I needed to say that. Um, And then going from there, sometimes there's psychoeducation, which is really us just going, hey, what actually is going on? Your family said this, your brother said that, your doctor said this, but what is actually happening for you? And helping you kind of find your way through that process, whether that's grief or even other things. But I find that for most people, a lot of psychoeducation is important, a lot of different pieces about how grief is a very physical thing and not just an emotional thing, Um, a lot of different pieces that help us find what what is our next step forward? Yeah. And I loved that analogy. Could you give that analogy? I heard you say earlier about the ball of yarn. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is, um, my, my apologies to the artist. It was very well done. I can't remember her name. Um, uh, but there was a comic from someone who's gone through a lot of grief and a lot of counseling and it showed two people. One is, a uh, in the, yeah, the therapist chair and the person across from them and the client was sitting there with this word caption and this really messy wound up ball of yarn like a cat had been playing with it and there was a connection to the word box over the therapist's head and those all those different colors of strands of yarns are slowly being wound onto different spools mm-hmm. and kind of straightened up and made useful wow yeah, yeah that so. that paints quite the picture <laughs> and i think that's um, really what's happening. And it's not all at once. It happens in, you know, over time, time, time in and of itself doesn't heal though. It's the action over time. What are some of those actions? And even though it may not be in a specific order, but what are some of those actions that help people heal and help people grieve well? You know, there's there's a whole a whole slew of them, honestly. I mean, grief is a process as unique as each person going through the grief and the grief you've experienced and whatever griefs might have come in the past. One of the things we sometimes uh, remind people of is don't lock your feelings in a freezer. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds funny to answer a do with a don't. Yeah. Um, but grief is really a lot about letting go of all the things you've ever heard about grief, what you think it should be, what everybody says it should be, and being right there in that moment. Um, and walking through that process and right and not telling yourself I should be through this by now 
Yes, exactly. It's been this amount of time and I should be through this. Yes. Expectations that we place on grief actually make it a lot worse and they keep us from mourning the way that we need to. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the ways that sometimes we can mourn um, is actually to remember, again, mourning is the key point in working through grief. You're never going to get rid of it. It's not going to go into a year and a year. It's not going to go away in two years or three years. Um, there's going to be a low level of that sadness, at least for most of your life. And if you're stuck locking all your feelings in a freezer, you can't lock half your heart in a freezer. So you can't lock only the bad feelings up. You have to lock all of them up. And sometimes it's what we try to do. We get busy. We got lots to do. A lot of times maybe somebody passes away or maybe we lose a spouse and we still have kids and family and work to take care of. So it gets buried. But unfortunately, it does eventually come back to the surface in conflict, in um, just general stress. Sometimes it comes out as physical issues. Um, It can come out as a lot of different things. And that's unfortunate because if we give ourselves a time to mourn, whatever our time is, some people reach different phases at at different amounts of time. Um, But that's really, really important to give yourself time to mourn. Right. And because you're saying that some people like put it in a freezer, they could even be maybe deceive themselves that I'm getting through this yes. and I, and cause we haven't had to touch it for a while and we'll yeah. just put it, put it there. Mm-hmm. We won't come back to it, but it does manifest somewhere else. It does. Yeah. You know, we can, we're so good as humans at adapting. And so we can hide our emotions and like you said, hide them from ourselves. And it's not like we're deviously going, ha 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 ha. Bye bye grief. <laughs> Although we might want to, um, but it's more about just saying, okay, I don't have time for this. This isn't that important. What you're really saying, my feelings, my God-given feelings that give me information about how to move forward and what's important to me right now are not important. And I'm going to lock those away and put everything else in front of it. And there's a reason grief is that painful when we do that because it is hard. Um, then we carry this extra energy around all the time. You'll notice you're less connected with friends. You might start withdrawing more. You end up maybe more screen time, which can create problems of its own. Um, you end up doing a lot of things really differently. Sometimes marriages kind of separate a little bit, just kind of companions in the house when you lock up, not just your feelings, but your thoughts and what you're going through around that time. Yeah. So there's some of the, some of the don'ts, right? Yes. Don't get locked up in screen time and numbing out and isolating yourself, withdrawing from friends and family. Hey friends, we'll be right back to our interview, but one quick note, if you love what you're listening to, you might also enjoy going through our card decks that we designed to help couples stay connected and in each other's world. So there's foundations, which is our starter deck, and it's all about boosting your communication skills. And then there's Sexpectations, which is all about spicing up your intimate connection. And then there's Realizations, which is a deck for all couples, but especially dating or engaged couples who want to see how well they really know each other. So grab a deck or two, or three, by heading over to our website, dearyoungmarriedcouple.com slash cards. All right, back to the show. So if this has been happening, mm-hmm. you know, we've just isolated ourselves and um, shove the feelings, stuff the feelings, and they're in there. We have these emotions that pop up at inconvenient times and we shove them back down and tell ourselves we should be somewhere else. What are the steps that we start taking to, mm-hmm. to like you said, mourn in a healthy manner? Yeah. So there's a lot of things you can do, as we mentioned earlier, a lot of unique things um, to each person. But the first one is that you, to do is to really take courage in where you're at. Um, and courage really, if you go back to the original meaning of the word, it had to do with having heart and really putting yourself out there. Mm. 
And grief really means taking what's been hidden or just even what's just inside and putting it out there. Mm. So for some people that starts with journaling. Most of the time, for most of us, because we mourn in social settings, it's sharing it with somebody. Maybe it's eating their favorite food. Um, it can be um, having a discussion about some of your favorite memories because the good stuff gets locked up with the sad stuff. Mm. Sometimes it can be seeing a counselor. If you realize you've got this huge long list of unresolved griefs, you're super successful at work, you're super successful in different parts of your ministry, and all of a sudden there's this piece that just is locked up for you individually is take time to start putting that out there. Mm -hmm. There's grief support groups, there's all kinds of things. Um, but some of the things most people, we, um, I've worked with a certain church um, in my area for a really long time, and they've gone through a lot of deaths in recent years. And so we've been sitting together, supporting, walking through that. And one of them came up with an amazing suggestion, which was, what is one thing your loved one enjoyed doing? Mm -hmm. And do that in secret for other people. So you are not going to feel immediately wonderful by doing this, but you're going to start the process in a little, in a gentle way of actually putting out there something about whether it's a loved one, maybe it was a period of your life. Maybe you had a really hard time in high school. Or you have some trauma around some things that causes loss for you. Mm -hmm. And maybe that sense of abandonment, whatever it is, go back to that kind of area in your life and think about what is one thing you needed and then go somewhere and share that with someone else. That's mm. good. Yeah. So it's kind of like extending the legacy of the loss. So mm -hmm. finding meaning in it. I, you said that yeah. earlier, making sure you're finding meaning. And yeah. that's a really good concrete example of how to do that. Yeah. Any other concrete examples of how to make meaning or find meaning mm -hmm. in um, kind of extending the legacy of that loss? Yeah. Um, I think one of them is really, um, and this is a part that really pertains to marriage, is how do you communicate the what you're going through and how do you share that with other people and also be there for them? So a lot of times people get a mismatch between your place in grief, your stage, which there's a whole number of stages, but between your stage in grief and maybe your spouses, your childs, your parents, whoever. Um, and how do you manage that? And part of that is around communicating it and actually starting to have that conversation and not having expectations for yourself or others. So you take courage, you walk into that next step, and you look at what am I not doing in my life? Am I taking care of my physical health? Our bodies don't know the difference between emotional and physical pain. So your body will treat grief as if you got run over by a truck. Mm. Mm. I think that's even worth slowing down on. Pain makes us attend to it. Yeah. And that's what it's there for, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's to slow us down in our life. But if we just sideline it, we're going through emotional pain, which people say, well, I should just be through this because it's just emotions. Mm. What would you have to say to that? Like, oh, it's just emotions. Just Well, I would say two things. One is they're not just emotions. They have meaning. They have purpose. God gave them to us for a reason. I've heard them referred to as the cog in the wheel of my rationality. Um, <laughs> it's just getting in the way. It's like putting dirt all over a really fine machine. Um, and grief can feel that way because yeah. you get grief fog. A lot of people start thinking they have dementia. Um, they don't. It's just simply that your brain gets flooded with all these chemicals. So that's the second piece of response to emotions is that whether or not you like these emotions and whether or not you believe in them, they are important and your body is creating them and it's creating them for a reason. When we go through grief, we really need to slow down and start going, what part of the loss 
took away my sense of self in that area. Mm -hmm. And how do I start restoring that? So example being that maybe um, someone maybe had a miscarriage and lost a child. Um, And for the mother, that can be like, okay, I had this anticipation. I have this sense of self. How do I incorporate that sense of self and that sense of meaning back? Because just because someone or something is gone doesn't physically doesn't mean that it's not gone as part of you. Mm. And the slowness of our grief process actually gives us time to start processing that. So withdrawing from friends and family a little bit is not bad in grief. I want to make that really clear because sometimes people need to do that. But you want to look at how long am I doing it? Mm. What function is this serving? Am I actually doing something with this time? Am I taking a little bit of time to do nothing when I'm so exhausted I can't think straight? Do I need to take a mental health day? But what am I doing with that time? Am I just sitting and wallowing in what I'm frustrated with? Or am I drinking water, taking vitamins, the things that will help your emotions to sort themselves out? So mm-hmm. so is that time that you're taking away serving you? Yes. Or harming you? Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned um, that there's so many stages of grief. And your body language here is you kind of smiled because we know that you know, pop psychology has really um, put an emphasis on Kubler-Ross and and her five stages of grief. Um, And there's value in that. uh, But she specifically wrote it for someone who's grieving the loss of their own impending death. And we apply it to so many other areas of grief. And sometimes it works well, and sometimes it doesn't work so well. So I wanted to ask you, you know, when you do grief groups and people come in with these these ideas about where they are in the five stages, how do you correct some of that maybe? Um, or how do you how do you work through that with them and maybe educate them a bit better? Yeah, uh, it's a really important question. I think those five stages are really useful or like a rule of thumb. It's a way to check in with yourself and five is easy to remember. Um, but when you think about grief as across the board, maybe you lost, um, sometimes people lose, have a lot of grief in like trauma or um, maybe losing, you know, their sense of innocence and a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different griefs we can have. Um, and there is a man named Westberg who describes 10 stages of grief in a book called Good Grief. It's actually a very, very useful book. Okay. Um, but he describes stages of grief, including not just, you know, denial, shock, numbness, all of those things, but also also the progression of anxiety, panic attacks, searching desperately to, for something you're not sure of. Sometimes people have really vivid dreams at that point, like, what am I looking for? Um, I'm, I'm missing something in life. Um, then there's depression or what they call the pit. Um, where there's this piece of, okay, I'm accepting that this happened, but acceptance isn't all happy balloons with smiley faces on them, mm. <laughs> even though we'd like it to be. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times acceptance is going, wow, this is really cruddy. I don't like this. It's really hard. This feels painful. I'm crying every morning. I go to church. I see my friends. I do everything right. And I still feel bad. Mm. That doesn't mean you're failing at grief. It actually means you're succeeding because you're processing what's going on. Because it's affecting you. Yes. And because you're allowing it to bring meaning to the surface. You're relying on God. You're relying on people that are supporting you. Mm -hmm. If you can, if you don't have people to support you, I recommend doing what, maybe calling somebody, talking to someone, find someone to support you with that. But then the next, the last stages of grief that a lot of times people don't notice is new relationships Mm -hmm. with yourself, with others, with the people that are around you. The way that you relate to them is going to be different. Um, whether it's better or worse, we don't get a choice. It's just going to be different. So can we build meaning in that? Our new ideas, new sense of hope, and eventually we get to a new sense of joy. 
where we're able to say, okay, we have these stages, I'm going through them. You won't go through all of them sometimes. You might skip them. You might go back and forth between some of them, processing, finding that meaning. But this is a process that God uses that we can use to grow as a person. And so sometimes it can be really helpful to realize there's so many more stages and it's okay to be in whatever stage you're in. It doesn't mean you're failing. So good. Yeah. I love that permission, just giving the client permission to not go through all the stages or to re-go through certain stages. It's, it's freeing for them. A lot of what you're talking about in terms of do's, like what to do, um, has to do with vulnerability. And I think oftentimes people get stuck with vulnerability because it's a risk and they fear that they're not going to be received well or that they're going to be socially inappropriate when they share. Can you give us some tips for the person on the other side to help reduce some of that risk? Um, So the person that's supporting, so the spouse in this case, supporting someone through grief, how can they receive someone well or support someone well going through grief? That's probably one of the most vital pieces. Um, for the first one is if you're married to someone who's going through grief, I'll just rule of thumb, check in on your own grief because maybe maybe it's just a coworker or maybe it's something they're going through physically. Maybe they're maybe lost some sense of health or something. Notice that you're also going through grief for what the normal was before this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so be aware of that for yourself. But the second piece is to simply show up. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to know what to say, which sometimes we're all really uncomfortable just sitting in silence, even with a spouse. But when you are able to go, hey, how are you feeling today? And be open for whatever comes up. If they're angry, if they cry, if they have nothing, if they say fine, if they just sit in silence, um, whatever that feeling is, let them know you're available and you will sit with them for as long as they need to. Now, if you're both going through a grief that's affecting both of you deeply, then you kind of have to start going, okay, who, who needs to be able to be the one to be sat with for a little bit and sit with each other and kind of maybe take turns sometimes. Um, and the phase of grief you're in will kind of dictate that if someone's in an angry phase, they may need to be listened to a lot. Um, or maybe even just to maybe go throw some ice cubes in the yard. Um, something <laughs> that good. simple actually can make yeah. a big difference in releasing that, but really just saying, Hey, how's it going? Most of us, that's the one question we don't ask somebody. How are you? Are you okay? We say, oh, you know, are you coping? Well, of course they're coping, they're alive. But are you okay? And then sitting with whatever that answer is and not fixing it, Mm -hmm. saying, wow, I'm right here. And giving them acceptance in where they are. Yes. No judgment. No, you should be over this. No, it should be better. Oh, you had a better day yesterday. Why is it bad again? Or the at least, at least they've, you know, you had so much time with them. or Or at least they're in heaven. Like those comments are not, super helpful. (laughs) No. And most people know them already and we feel bad for not feeling comforted by those, but it's okay to be frustrated and to have someone sit with you and say, Hey, it's okay. You are doing your job as a spouse, supporting someone with that. If you're supporting each other and sometimes you do find that you might be in the same phase, then it can be really helpful to grab maybe a family member or a friend to try to support both of you through that so that you can have time away. Don't forget to be your individual self and to keep the structure of your daily life as much as possible. Mm -hmm. The first few weeks, we're in shock. Nothing goes normal. Everything's chaotic. But after that, try to do everything that you can that's normal. And maybe your spouse is really in a really deep pit of grief at the moment, and they really can't do that. 
you do it as much as possible because normalization helps us to move through what we need to do next. Just kind of knowing this is predictable because grief took away something that was predictable before. Ah, that is so good. That's so, because I think there's so much conflicting, um, opinion out there about, you know, taking time off work and going on sabbatical or, you know, removing yourself from a ministerial position to grieve. Um, and I think there's value in, like you said, giving yourself some space. Um, but to what extent? And I think maybe you're speaking to that a little bit. Can you give specific timeframes from what you've seen in your clients for what worked well for them? It may not work for everybody. I wish I could give more specific. Um, I think that's the one thing that's the hardest as therapist, as client, as family member, spouse about grief is that there really isn't a predictable timeline. Mm -hmm. I would say probably within the first 30 to 90 days, most people do need to be able to have space to withdraw. I think the the rule of thumb about the year that America has somehow come up with, the rest (laughs) of the world really doesn't go by that. Not sure why we got stuck with it. Um, (laughs) But that rule of thumb of a year is actually your first often your first year of shock. So a lot of things are going to be confusing. You might remember a lot of things. So that's a time when you kind of really, if you can, take the space. You know, take time and don't just go on a vacation to Disneyland to distract yourself. I mean, do that partly, but at least take three or four days to just almost do nothing. Allow things to come up. Do things for yourself that you can that are nice. And this is when journaling is is helpful. Absolutely. Um, It can also be when talking to someone can sometimes be helpful just to be like, I remembered this and I remembered that and whatever feeling comes up. Um, But the other piece is for some people, and this is a little bit different based on personality sometimes, a lot of people will be able to do that in their first year. Sometimes people don't get to that kind of uh, I need space away phase until the second year. Um, so the first two years are usually the, really the most difficult, um, because we're really just kind of really finding, you know, our brain is finally accepting that this is not going to go back to the way it was. Mm -hmm. Um, so those are kind of rules of thumb in terms of that amount of time taking time away, Mm -hmm. but it really depends on what your responsibilities are. The more responsibility and stress that you have, the more likely you're going to need to actually take, you know, concrete time away and Mm. go somewhere different for a little while to be away because your stress levels often are related to how much with people you're working. So like clergy, a lot of times do need to just step away from that, go spend some time. Um, or people who are like management positions, or maybe your job requires you to work with a lot of people. Maybe you're in an emergency room setting. Um, those kinds of things often kind of force you to do that. Um, sometimes when you have other jobs that are a little bit less engaged with people is a little bit less stressful on your body. So sometimes it kind of depends on that, whether you actually want to take time away or whether you can kind of do part time for a while. Yeah, that's good. I like that, you know, differentiation when you're you're talking about how much responsibility or interaction with people you have that will help determine how much time away you need. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it's going to be different for everyone. So don't put yourself in a box or have an expectation Mm -hmm. of yourself for how, how long to take away or not. If Mm -hmm. you feel like going back earlier, go back earlier. (laughs) You mentioned something just now that reminded me of a comment you made earlier in the podcast episode, um, where we were, you were talking about how grief is physical that it's not just a mental thing, but it's a physical thing. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you meant by that? 
Absolutely. Um, we're blessed to have a lot more research in this kind of area in the last oh, probably 20 to 30 years, some of the different techniques that we can actually do a little bit more studies on the brain and the body. Um, and one of those things has a lot of lot to do with different hormones that get released. And some of it is also that our every cell in our body actually holds memory markers in our DNA for certain situations. Well, with grief, someone passing away, our body responds to someone that was close to us, to the patterns, the, you know, even the pheromones, the way that we smell that we can't smell, um, that that's unconsciously there. All of that is suddenly ripped away. Um, even if it's maybe a home that you lost, the smells, the location, all of that, your body takes all this information in. And when that's taken away, it's treated as if there's this major, literally the words are as if you were run over by a truck, the same way you would have broken bones, your organs would all be bruised. Everything literally is affected from your head to your toe by mm -hmm. cortisol, by adrenaline. Um, and not just by like, oh, you know, the amount of cortisol or adrenaline you'd have if you were stressed, those are the stress chemicals, but there it's a huge amount. It's, it's, it's enough to make a lot of people have heart attacks and so forth. Mm -hmm. So you really, that, that physical response is really important. And then as that gradually goes down, you have brain fog as a result, you have all the emotions that you have anyway, like happiness, sadness, disappointment, fear, anger, rage, some of those things, they're all creating all these chemicals and you really get exhausted. Um, it's an important time for those of you who know about adrenal support. Um, that's a really important time to do that. So taking your vitamins, going for a walk, getting some sunshine, drinking water, all the basic things are really important to taking care of that physical body. Um, spending time for some people, you know, it's kind of where love languages sometimes can be a useful rule of thumb because it is difficult to think with chaos and change and all of that at the same time. But if someone really enjoys physical touch or that's their love language, they're going to need more of it not less of it. If someone needs words of affirmation, they're going to need extra. A rule of thumb uh, for actually all humans is if we're going through stress, 12 hugs a day is the minimum we need to maintain emotional stability. Hmm. Really? Yes. Wow. 12 hugs a day. Yeah. And it could be like hugs from your kids, hugs from your spouse or friends, friend, yeah. even from strangers. Okay. Grief often opens us up to the support from strangers. Wow. That's intriguing. Okay. Yeah, 12 hugs so. a day. Is it, is it just the release of that oxytocin and that bonding, the connection you need to feel comforted? Yeah. Okay. And I'm, I'm sure there's some sort of, uh, you know, un, undiagnosable piece of it, but the research they did was around the oxytocin. It was around just the, um, you know, the, the calming touch. If your heart rate's really high and someone else's is lower or calmer, mm. then yours is going to balance down to that. Animals can be really helpful. A lot of animal therapy, volunteering at animal shelters sometimes can be supportive during things like that. Mm. So really, you know, for you, depending if you're someone who really, really likes structure and that's something you need all your life, then that's something you're probably going to need to be flexible for yourself with. If you're someone that's really flexible, you may need to add a little more structure. So you're kind of adding what you're missing. And if you're working with your spouse, then kind of asking them to do that with you and really taking that courage to say, when I'm with people, it's okay if I cry. And I always tell people, rule of thumb, run to the bathroom. Wow. No one's going to bother you if you're crying in the bathroom. It's okay to be there. It's okay to take a minute, take a breath of fresh air. And if you can, go back to the party or to the church setting or wherever you are. If you can't, then have one phrase. Usually I recommend, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed today. I need to go home. 
or I need to go rest or I have an appointment. If you feel uncomfortable with saying I'm feeling I'm overwhelmed. Mm. Um, but, but depending those, on the context, like if you're in a yeah. business meeting or if you're with family, like maybe be a bit more vulnerable if you're with mm-hmm. people that really care for you and, yeah. and own the feeling. Absolutely. It's yeah. good. And I mean, you're talking about permission to cry. What about permission to laugh? You know, like mm-hmm. you said, grief is all those emotions, right? Yes. And you, you still have memories mm-hmm. of the positive. I think mm-hmm. people feel guilty for remembering those positive things or laughing in the midst of, of grief. Or guilty mm-hmm. feeling happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I shouldn't feel happy right now. Yeah. Yes. Or relieved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that has a lot to do, at least in the discussions I've had with a lot of my clients and some of the research, has a lot to do with our societal expectations. For one year, we get to be miserable, grouchy, angry, upset, yell at God, break ice, you know, do all kinds of weird things we wouldn't normally do. Um, And then after that, it's gone, as if nothing happened. And the truth is, your sadness is good. Your happiness is good. Most of us, we can kind of you know, kind of fact check for ourselves. Would our loved one really want us to be losing parts of our life to this utter sadness when we're actually having that kind of happy kind of pop up? Would they want us to reduce that? Because really our, our happiness allows us to remember them more effectively, even than our sadness. Both have a place Mm -hmm. and it's okay to remember both ways. Mm. I have a question here. Are you, or do you, when you're working with clients, do you ask clients to take inventory daily of of what's going on in them or have like some sort of trigger to remind them to do something like that? Yes. um, It does depend on the stage of grief they're in. Um, If you're in a stage of numbness or in a stage of, um, of like maybe that, that panic level, um, at those points, I don't usually recommend that simply because what you're already doing is making you incredibly aware of what's going on. Mm. But in most of the other phases, that's where, um, it sounds very, very simple, but we usually recommend, you know, write down three gratitudes today, every day. And underneath those gratitudes, write one thing about what phase am I in right now? Okay. Because you could wake up in stage depression and an hour later be in stage panic and an hour later be in stage numb again, or even be over there like, oh, I'm working on new relationships. I'm feeling some new joy and then go back to whatever the other feeling was again. Mm. So writing it down just for right now, checking yeah. in like, hey, yeah. what stage am I in? Oh yeah, that's right. I'm in grief. Our brain will not always remind us every day we're in grief. Mm. And sometimes we need to be nice to ourselves. Yeah, just have yeah. some grace and build that self-awareness. Because mm-hmm. by building that self-awareness, um, you start to cope better. Yes. You start mm-hmm. to to heal. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, and it's a very sticky topic, and I know we could do an entire <laughs> podcast about this topic, um, but you mentioned being angry with God or yelling at God. Um, this is something that comes up frequently, mm-hmm. um, even when we're not doing quote unquote grief work. Um, I mean, can you speak to that a little bit? I, I know it's a hard question. Can you speak to that? Um, <laughs> but, uh, give your one minute answer, please. <laughs> does that come up for you? And can you share some insight? Absolutely. I think that's probably one of the first things that usually comes up that people are either afraid of happening in their grief or is actively happening. Um, and one of the things I usually recommend is when was the last time you read the prophets? Um, and usually the first couple of chapters, God, why are you allowing my people to be slaughtered? Why are you killing people? Why are you taking them away? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we blame God for things that some of them may not always have directly to do with him. Could he have prevented? Yes. 
But there's also the fact that we are beings that do belong to God. And he has reasons for things that we don't always understand. And so that's really where our faith and our grief meet a crossroads. But God can handle your anger. Yes. God can handle when you're upset. And it's, it's no surprise to him. He made you, he, he knew you were going to feel this way. Uh Yeah. Um, And you're not like sinning against God to be angry with him. Right. Right. I mean, we see, like you said, the prophets, we see uh, Jeremiah, for instance, I mean, he was so angry with God. He was, he cursed the day he was born and, you know, you see him continuing his ministry and God continued to use him and none of his prophecies came true in his lifetime, but God continued to use him and he continued to pray angry prayers and he was still blessed. You know, like you said, I love that God can handle your grief. There's actually a book I usually recommend for people going through that phase, and it's called The Problem of Pain from C.S. Lewis. Uh Um, And he really kind of lays out some of the reasons when you're stuck asking why. You can do two things. You can do research on what happens when I ask God why. What am I trying to accomplish? Let me actually study out why do people die before their time? Mm. Why do families break up? Why do Mm. things happen? And that can be helpful. But after you've done a little bit of research... The second step is to move from why to what do I do next? Mm. How do I find meaning? How do I honor what's going on? And the fact that my life is more than great for a while, it'll feel like there's nothing else, but that will pass if you process through it, if you talk about it, if you practice mourning. I love that. Move from why to what do I do next? I also liked how you said, if you practice mourning. Yes. Hmm. We're not good at it right away. Yeah. <laughs> True. It's good. You mentioned a couple of book recommendations. Are there any others on your short list of just here's some here's some resources for you? Yeah, there's two different kinds. One of them is another C.S. Lewis book, which is called A Grief Observed. It's basically just his journal of going through losing his very dear wife of really they weren't married that long and she got cancer and just kind of seeing her wither away in the struggle with that. And also it really is rare because it chronicles the way he walked out of it, Mm -hmm. um, which is very, very based in faith. Um, but also very based in just concrete. I'm mad at you, God. Why did you do that? I'm not sure I believe in you and I've defended you most of my life. Mm. Um, so a lot of those things. And it's then, very real in that yes. book. I love that. Yeah. It really, it really helps to know that you're not alone with what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other piece um, is actually a book called Tear Soup, A Recipe for Healing After Loss uh, by Pat Schwiebert and Chuck Decline. Okay. Um, it's, it's a little bit of a story. Um, but it includes almost everything that we talked about really here, um, and includes how family and friends are working. And it's a storybook that can actually, it's a little thick, but it can be read to children as well as families in, in this setting or even with couples and really just taking time to go, wow, yeah, that was going on for me. Yeah, that was going on for me. So if you feel like self-help book or studying is a little bit much, um, Tear Soup is really, really effective. Nice. Nice. Um, one more question for you, kind of along the lines of resources, and these may not be for everybody, but can you share some of the um, art therapy or projects that you would have people do or direct people toward um, if they wanted something a bit more creative in processing their grief? Absolutely. There's so many. I'm trying to think of which ones I would just kind of recommend right away. Um, one of them is actually related to feeling safe to express your grief. 
So it's basically getting a piece of paper. If it's not a circular paper, draw a very, very large circle, filling in what makes me feel safe. And you might be really surprised that in grief, almost nothing does Uh. because the feelings are coming from inside of you. And so then you have to look at what helps me to feel physically comfortable. And so start from there. Um, So that's kind of one way to do it. Um, Another another thing that sometimes we have people do is work on a grief um, a grief gift together. Um, so if you have a few other people you know that are walking through some griefs, they don't have to be the same. They can be completely different or maybe even some family members. People sometimes like to make quilt squares. Other people um, will, what I like to do in the groups is we'll take a really large sheet of paper and we'll start writing, you know, dear person in grief. And you start writing what you wish you could tell someone else where you're at in your grief experience Mm. right now. So you're just kind of putting some of that out there. Um, Some other art things that can be really helpful is one of my favorite is angry crayon, where you Mm -hmm. take every different layer of crayon and kind of color that into paper and then write the feeling that you're having in the layers of wax. And they're all really simple things, but when you're feeling really overwhelmed, they can be really powerful to kind of engage in or even have your family, if you have kids or if you have Mm -hmm. other people going through the grief with you, have them do it with you. And kind of share what what feelings are coming up and what do you wish you could do with those feelings? What can you do? Uh, Sometimes people will do actual walks where they go to maybe a cemetery Mm -hmm. or go walking through some of the labyrinth maze type things Mm -hmm. um, and really just taking time to to sit there and kind of be. You can remember, you can be sad, you can be happy, but just be for a few minutes. It's good. Or walking like uh, a home that you're about to leave, anticipating mm-hmm. that loss and saying yeah. goodbye to each room. Mm-hmm. I've had kids do that, you know, or even adults, but yeah. um, families, you know, like, mm-hmm. let's go ahead and, and grieve. Like what, what memories did we have in this room? And why is this room significant? And even if you didn't have a chance to do that before you left the house, even just driving by a house that, you know, maybe you're still grieving the loss of what that mm-hmm. represented and, and um, kind of just saying goodbye to it. You can even make a celebration of some of these things as well, because the truth is you might not feel like celebrating, but taking the time to say, okay, we finished the papers with the lawyer for grandma. Mm -hmm. Um, We, okay, we're moving into a new house where, you know, I'm I'm putting all of my angry feelings toward the person who abused me into this balloon and I'm releasing it. Um, And it doesn't mean it the symbolism is helpful. It doesn't mean it just fixes it, but it gives you one more piece to say, I did that. I was able to go through that piece. It's like markers on your journey. Yes. And that's, it's so easy, I think, to downplay the the efficacy of these tools that you're just casually giving us. (laughs) And it might, it probably will take kind of some determination just to get to that space where like, okay, I'm going to sit down at the kitchen table and draw that circle Mm -hmm. and do this. But these are amazingly liberating and, or just... Mm -hmm. Maybe just a marker yeah. on that journey. I love that. Yeah. So good. Um, before we get to the end of our podcast here, um, we want to make sure people know how to get in contact with you. So Chelsea, Dr. Chelsea Hall has a practice in the Bay Area, California. Mm-hmm. And so um, you guys can contact her. She's written her information down here. It's very valuable information. I'm about to give you her phone number and email address. <laughs> um, so her phone number is area code 510-512-2353. And you can email her at christiancounselinghall at gmail.com. And um, you also do uh, not just counseling and grief groups, mm-hmm. but you also speak at various 
engagements or various churches. And so if people want to connect with you for that purpose, should they just call or email you as well? Yes, that would be fine. Yeah. Okay. And you can also connect with her on Instagram. It's at Carpe Veritas or Carpe underscore Veritas. (laughs) And um, she posts lots of good nuggets of wisdom there. And so you guys can uh, receive more from her. Um, so before we close also friends, if you guys could take a chance to, uh, rate and review the podcast, subscribe, um, you know, we read every review that comes in. And so, uh, it also helps us reach many, many more couples. So if you guys could take a chance to do that, that would be awesome. Um, so we are at the end of our podcast and the way we close our podcasts is we do a dear young married couple letter. So it's similar to what you mentioned earlier. Um, you know, people writing uh, a letter to someone who's grieving, but what's some advice, how would you fill in the blank to a young married couple, maybe who's in that position of grief? Um, and so if you could do that with a dear young married couple. All right. So dear young married couple, You are worth the effort it takes to feel your feelings together Mm. and apart. Have courage to say what you need to say or even the things you're afraid to say. Mm. Be consistent with each other in dropping your expectations. So good. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. All right, friends. We really hope that you got a ton out of today's conversation. And if you want help, if you want personal guidance with individual counseling or couples counseling, or even help with you as a couple reaching the goals you have, just reach out. Give us a call at 916-678-1797 or shoot us an email at hello at dearyoungmarriedcouple.com. No matter where you are in the world or in your marriage, we can set up a counseling session with you and we can work toward progress. We also post marriage advice regularly on our Instagram, which is at Dear Young Married Couple. And we'd love for you to join us in conversation there. All right. See you next week.